Good morning. Welcome to Sunday School. Thank y'all for coming. <coughs> so, where did we leave off last week? Acts. Second Luke. Alright, so, uh, we're going to still be in, we're going to be in chapter 1 probably a few Sundays. We got just, we're going to lay some groundwork here, so, just be patient <coughs> while we get through these first key themes we're going to kind of unpack and then, then we'll move on. But this week we'll be in chapter one again. We'll just let's just go to Acts chapter one, verse one. And I'll just read the text again to refresh ourselves. And then, then we'll go from there. Okay. So Acts chapter one verse one. We'll just read, you know, not the whole chapter. That's what we're going to cover here. So it says this. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he had, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, he was, <clears throat> he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. All right, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for <clears throat> this Lord's day that you have made and that you, this opportunity you've given us as, as your body, as your church, to come together as this group of people who you have assembled here at Grace Point, at Eagle Heights, to come together and and um, to open your word and to sing your praises and to hear the preaching. And we just, we're so thankful for all these means of grace that you have given us, that you, that you allow us to sit and enjoy and to participate in every time these these doors open we're thankful for this for the doors that are attached to the building that you have so graciously provided us so that we have a safe and comfortable place to come together <clears throat> as your body and to, to offer you our heartfelt worship so we're thankful for your word and i just thank you for these wonderful people who you have brought me to and put in my life and the way you've allowed me to just build my life around this church body. <clears throat> it's just such a blessing. 
So right now, we just pray for you to, to meet with us here this morning as we study the writings of your servant Luke and his recording of the events of, <clears throat> of our forefathers in the church. So we just pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to, to, to see and hear and understand these things, open our minds. <clears throat> Father, just, just focus our attentions here on the here and now on the things we're talking about block out distractions and we just pray that you would be pleased and with our with our study i just ask that you would just move me out of the way and just let us have a good edifying experience here but may it all just be for your glory <clears throat> we ask this in jesus name amen, amen. Sorry about my throat, y'all. It'll, it'll stop here eventually, I guess. All right. <clears throat> All right. So last week we had a pretty decent intro, I guess. <clears throat> today, today we're gonna try to get three major things in. And somebody time me, please, and let me know when it's like twenty. After who's calling me? It's my, my Zachary. Just kind of let me know when we're at like 20 after so I can kind of wrap up. Yeah, right. We're, we're going to try to cover the main thing. Is we're, going to, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at some passages in John where Jesus promised the Holy Spirit because he mentions it here. He said to wait. Uh, he told him not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard from me. We're going to go look at that. And see exactly what Jesus said and concerning the Holy Spirit and his coming. And so hopefully we'll learn some things about the Holy Spirit. Maybe we didn't already know. We're going to talk about it. We're going to try to get in some, some time on baptism in the Holy Spirit. Kind of what that means. Some different types of baptism. Welcome. I'm Craig. Nobody. Everybody knows needs to know that. And... Uh, and then if we have time, we're going to talk about the witness, too. But I don't know if we'll get to all that. So let's just jump right in here. <clears throat> um, first, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. So he mentions it here. In, chapter, in um, verse 4, he says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. So he's reminded them here of what he had told them. Where are you at, Craig? Acts chapter 1, verse 4. In the uh, Olivet Discourse, right before he was arrested, he had this long teaching he gave the apostles. That he, of the, yeah, and he talked about this, this, this promise that was going to come from the Father. But he has only that, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We know now that that was about 10 days. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And he, then they were to wait in Jerusalem and pray. And then Pentecost happened on the 50th day. That's 50 days from Passover. So 40 days of proofs from Jesus, 10 days of expected prayer from the apostles. And then on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit was given. Was the, gift, the gift arrived just as promised. So, 
I got a note here that I scratched out that says Luke 24:49, and I'm just curious why I, why I did that. So I'm going to look at it real quick. I think this is where, in Luke's account of the gospel, he it's kind of like this 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 section, but it's in Luke. If I remember right, so Luke 24:49. Let's just see what it says. It's kind of I think if I remember right, this is kind of where Luke and Acts kind of connect. This is a link between them. Hey, Dee Dee. Hey, how are you? Good. Let's see. Three forty-nine. I mean, twenty-four, verse forty-nine. He says, "And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. Yeah, but you are to stay in the city till you are clothed with power, clothed with power from on high." So, so I guess that's why I put that note because these these two things are kind of you know just different accounts of the same the same. What would you call it? Instruction or the same saying? But let's go to John and look at these uh, these sections. These are they're, they call them the Paraclete sections because these are Jesus's uh, teachings on the Paraclete, which means one who comes alongside. Para meaning alongside, like parallel lines or alongside each other. The Gospel of John, and then. The cleat or kletos means one who, so it's the parakletos is one who comes alongside. So it's translated differently in different, you know, different translations. Mine says helper. Yours may say comforter. It may say advocate. It may say paraclete. I, I think some of them even trans just they don't even translate it. They just say paraclete. But mine says helper. But so let's go to the first paraclete saying, which is John. 1415. I'm going to try not to rush, but I'm going to try not to drag my feet either. But I, you know, I'm hoping we can get through a lot of this. But. So, 1415. These are called the, these are called the paraclete sections of the Olivet Discourse. So this is after the Last Supper, but before Christ. Uh, rest. So they're still in the upper room right here. And he's talking to them after they've broken, you know, after their supper. <clears throat> so let's read 1415 of the Gospel of John. Fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another parakletos. Mine says helper. Advocate. Counselor. Okay. Well, that word there is parakletos. It means one who comes alongside. He will give you another parakletos that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. So we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Why did it say another? It, that's what I'm, I'm that's, here it comes. So another very important word there is this word another, as Amanda says. That's, that word is hetero. Hetero. We know what that means. Of the same type. So what Jesus is telling them here is he will give you another, a helper who is like me. 
So that's that's why that he he chose those that wording there. This is not just any helper. This is going to be a helper like me. The same as me is what he's saying. What's really interesting is the whole. I mean, of course, you've got the whole picture of it, but Christ comes and teaches them for years. Three years. And then he's leaving, but he doesn't want to leave them alone. So yep. he gives them the spirit to continue teaching. Them. He tells them that explicitly, actually. Yeah. We're, we're going to get to that. It's, it's really um, <clears throat> so there you go. He tells them, another is coming like me. Now, think about this. <clears throat> you're standing in a, somewhere. You're not sure what to do or where to go. And then another one comes alongside you and stands beside you to help you and to comfort you and to advocate for you and just to give you help. Um, I just couldn't help but thinking about whenever I was locked up in Galveston. And I had a huge bond that I had no hope of ever paying. I had no help. And I had a, my counsel, I think he's also called counselor in some translations. My counsel was appointed by the state. He was not interested at all in my situation. Um, I was in there six months and never even met the man. and never saw the inside of a courtroom. So all I had was Heather, right? And she was outside. In no position to help me because she was struggling just to survive. She was homeless and didn't even have a car. So she's just living on the streets trying to make it. Okay, so. But through God's providence, he allowed her to find help through Hurricane Harvey. Because when that happened, she was able to get to a shelter. They, she's told the Florida she was displaced by hurricanes, so they was able to put her in a shelter and get her some housing, temporary housing, on Galveston Beach, actually. So that freed her up. Now she could try to try to address my situation, and she managed through just sheer force of will to secure me a lawyer that was not state appointed, but an actual lawyer that she she paid a you know, a retainer to. So when this, when this lady was retained within four days later, I walked out of jail. That's all it took. It was just somebody to come alongside me and she stood beside me and she brought me in the courtroom. She stood right there beside me and she said, judge, he, we, we gotta, let's get this wrapped up. You know, here's what we're, here's what we want to do. And when I made a plea bargain with him, I took some probation anyway. That's the idea here. It's somebody that he comes alongside us and he helps us and he gives us guidance and he advocates for us in so many ways. He does all these things. But Jesus tells him, you know, it's going to be another one like mine. They going to be the same as me. And you're going to see it through these things. They interchange pronouns. Sometimes the Father's sending him. Sometimes I'm sending him. I mean, it's, but we'll see all that. But, so, but he also tells him, because he abides with you, but he will be in you. So from that, I, we can infer that although they weren't yet indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was with them as they walked with Jesus. I mean, they were with Jesus. And certainly Jesus was, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. Because what did he tell them? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I have come to declare. So, okay, the next section is John fourteen twenty five.
Wait, wait, wait. Before we go to the next one, let's keep reading. Because this is what uh, Eric mentioned. He says, he told him, uh, he abides with you and he will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, he says. Okay, notice that. I'm going to come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live in you, you will live also. No, because I live, you will live also. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keep them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. Just want to add that in there. Just that because he says, I'm coming. But I will not leave you as orphans. So I'm going away. I'm coming back. All right, the next one is uh, 1425. It's just a little ways right there. There's a lot of good stuff between these paraclete things, but we, we just going to cover these little. She says, um, verse 25, it says this, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the paracletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So right here, see what he says, that uh, he will teach you and bring to remembrance all the things I said. So you know, we know these, these accounts weren't written for many years after all this happened. And, uh, but you know, they, they, they told these stories every day, I'm sure. As they're spreading the gospel to each other through that Jewish tradition of telling the same story over and over again, but never changing it. So that happened for a good 30 years before any of this stuff was committed to paper, or at least as far as we know. And so one function of this helper was to help them to remember all the things that Jesus said and to get it right. They wrote all this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we can know that these things are accurate. We know that they're accurate. We know that they're true. These are reliable historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetimes of other eyewitnesses. That speaks strongly to the veracity of these things. Not that we, none of us doubt the veracity of Scripture. These are just, you know, arguments you can give to somebody. Somebody tries to tell you, ah, oh, man, this stuff, we don't know who wrote that stuff. And they didn't really, none of that's true. Well, these men went to their graves for this, for this truth. But they... So he said, the Spirit's going to come and, and teach you and bring all things I said to your remembrance. The next one is uh, 1526. Yeah, 1526. <clears throat> and this is actually titled in my, in my Bible, The Promise of the Holy Spirit. So he says this, when the helper, the paracletos, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Now see, now he's changed it again. I'm going to send him from the Father, he says. Just notice that. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will, what? He will testify about me. And, will, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. 
So, just the one thing I want to point out here is the Spirit never testifies about Himself. He doesn't bring glory to Himself. He is not here for that. He is here to bring glory to Jesus and to testify about Him. Okay. Now, we know there are some, some friends, some brothers and sisters, maybe even the more charismatic circles. They tend to go a little overboard on the Holy Spirit. Um, if there's only one doctrine that you can't go overboard on, you can go overboard on anything, whether it be eschatology, Holy Spirit, and Jesus. That's the only one. You can't go overboard on Jesus. You can't talk about Jesus too much. So, just to point out that out there, the Holy Spirit is not here to get glory for himself. That's just, that's not what he's, that's not his job. And so, the next one, Sixteen seven, and it says this. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Notice it's always him. They never say it when they're referring to the Holy Spirit. It's him. He has a personal pronoun, just like Father and Son. He says, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will do three things. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know the Holy Spirit convicts, right? Um, he says he's going to convict us of these three things. Now, what's, what is the difference between the conviction of the Spirit and the accusations of Satan? It's the difference between light and dark. I mean, hope and despair. I hope we are open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because we know we're, we're not perfect. We, we still sin. So the Holy Spirit has a job there. He gets to show us when we're not walking in the Spirit, when we're not being led by the Spirit, when we're, when we're operating out of our flesh. But when the Spirit convicts us, He's saying, look, I love you. I want you to have a life that's pure. I want you to be a vessel I can use. I want you to, to be a good son or a daughter. When the devil accuses, it's, you're never going to be good enough. You're not good enough. You're filthy. You're unclean. You have no right to stand before holy God, and you're doomed. So that's just, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. So just remember that. When you feel a conviction, if you're a Christ child and you have a conviction of the Spirit, it's there for a reason. It's to bring us back on the path. It's not to tell us we're no good and we, then Jesus hates us. It's not, it's not what he's doing. He's actually extremely gracious. He's telling us, I love you. Yep. I love you. What you're doing is harmful to you and to those around you. So get right. Stay right. Be right. Act right. Yeah, he can fix us with the word. He does. Not to condemn, but so that that leads us to repentance. To put us back and, on the path. Yes. And bring us to to Christ, not void. He convicts us through our conscience, which is informed through our study of His word. But we know when we're we know when we 
when we fall bad, when we do something really wrong, we know it. I do. He convicts my conscience. Thank God for that. Yes. It makes, there's, there's a time, though, when you can have your conscience is broken. And it's yes. convicting you it can be. a lot. And if you are not in his word, you are lost. That's right. Your conscience can be misinformed, especially by the culture and by your own emotions and feelings. Our conscience has to be informed by the word. Yes. We can't depend on ourselves to, to understand what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. We have to have, a, I mean, people, there are people out there who are seared in their conscience. I mean, we, we know, we see it all the time. People that run around out there in the world who have their conscience so misinformed, they don't know what's good and what's evil. They call evil good and good evil. They're to be pitied. I mean, they really are. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're walking into. We should pity those people and pray for those people and do everything we can to stop them from doing what they're doing. I don't know if it was our women's Bible study, but it was, you know, like every time you, you do something against your conscience, even, well, no, I guess it was Pastor last week. But, uh, you know, when you say, I'm going to eat this food to idols, I was out here, I don't know. But anyway, you're going against your conscience. So even though it doesn't really matter, perhaps, to eat that meat, uh, sacrifice to idols because your conscience says it's wrong, then it's wrong it's sin. for you. It's sin. If you and violate your conscience, yeah. so you, you, you know, yeah. every time you say, oh, it's okay, you're, you're searing your conscience. Yep, that's right. That's, that's right. I like we have a conscience for a reason. I like how so he gives us a little bit of an explanation. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So he's, so the Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to convict, right? Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning righteousness, I don't know, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. What is the most dominant sin that stops people from walking into the kingdom? Unbelief. Unbelief. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. So what is that? What is he talking about there? I'm I'm the standard of righteousness, but you're not. But I'm not going to be here so you can follow me and, and see what I'm doing. So the Holy Spirit will convict you of what's right. So here's what he's saying: He's going to come convict you of what's wrong, sin, what's right, righteousness, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world. Has been judged. Now I'm not as clear on what he's what he means there, but I but I can tell you what I know he does mean. He's, that's what's coming. His judgment. So he's to convict us of what's wrong, what's right, and what's coming. Okay. So let's move on because I'm, I'm taking a few long here. And then 16:12, which is just right under that. I mean, it's just the next. But for some reason, it's considered another section. So he says, I have. Many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. 
Therefore, I said that he takes a bind and will and we'll disclose it to you. Okay, so those are the paraclete sayings in John. So, what have we learned here? The Holy Spirit convicts, he comforts, he guides, he has many functions. He, he ministers to us. He bat, and now we're, now we're going to go, he baptizes us in, into the body. Ephesians 1, 14, he seals us for the day of redemption. So, is there any questions can we move, before we move on to the baptism? Everybody kind of clear on that? Any, any unclear? Going once, twice, oh, let's go. What time we got? Oh, we're doing all right. All right, baptism. We're going to talk about three different types of baptism here. Here they are: baptism by the Holy Spirit, baptism in water, and then baptism in the Holy Spirit. We might see another one too, but we're going to talk about. There's many more. We're going to talk about those three. So turn to First Corinthians twelve thirteen. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. So about unity and diversity in the body. Well, let's start at 12. Let's just start at 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. So notice what's happened here. So let's talk about grammar real quick. All sentences are structured have a subject, a verb, and an object, right? So the subject, our subject here is who is doing the baptizing. The verb is the act of baptism, the plunge. Remember we talked about last week. Baptism was always understood as to be a plunging in water, an immersion or a submersion in water. It was never a sprinkle. We're not baptized with water. We're plunged in water. We're plunged. We're not sprinkled. You know, John the Baptist didn't sprinkle some water on Jesus in the River Jordan. He dunked him. We're baptized into the body. We're not sprinkled with the body. We're, we're baptized into the body. We're, we're immersed in the body. So that's just something to know. So he says here, so the subject is the Holy Spirit. He's doing the dunking. The verb is to plunge or immerse or to dip in something. The object is who's being baptized. That would be us at the moment of salvation. And then into what? All I came up with is the substance. I don't know what that would be called in grammar. The, the predicate? I don't, I don't know what that is. So anyway. But the result are the substance here is the church or the body. So we're being, we're being, he says it, we are all, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So the spirit is baptizing us into the body of Christ. That's at the moment of salvation. This, this occurs. And according to this, it's the Holy Spirit's doing the baptizing. Okay. Now let's talk about what we recognize as baptism, which is water baptism. 
So, actually, well, we know, okay, let's do this. So the subject would be who's doing the baptizing. That could be the pastor or whoever, a father, a brother, whoever, the person performing the baptism. Um, they're plunging the, a new believer in water. So this is not regenerative. This is not saving anybody. We all understand that, I hope. But it's a symbol of, of our identification with Christ. We're going to get a little bit more into this here in a minute. We're going to look at some scriptures, but just for know this for now that this is not um, like a new covenant thing of ceremonial washing, like 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 from the like from the old covenant. This, that's not what this is. We've the Christians have kind of rejiggered this to, to symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's kind of how we we would see this. The repent, the, like the baptism of John for repentance was more of a ceremonial washing type thing. So these two things are not the same. Oh, they were both baptisms in water. In the new church, in the church, we kind of view this differently. But we'll see that a little bit more in a minute. And then the third one is the baptism in, baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus tells them in Acts one and then Luke, you know, twenty four forty nine. There he says, "For John plunged you in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit." So, who's being baptized? The object is believer, or the in this case, it's going to be the apostles. The substance they're going to be baptized in is the Holy Spirit. They're, they're being plunged in the Holy Spirit. The verb is plunging. So who is the subject here? Who's doing the baptizing? Well, let's look at that. And I know I brought this up last week, but just notice where it says, For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. My Bible has a one right there. And in the notes there, it says, literally, in. So remember we talked about that, that preposition, E-V, can be translated in, at, with, by, to, or for. Those are all legitimate translations of that preposition. But for some reason, it's always, almost always, translated with when it's in the context of baptism. But a much more accurate with there would be in. But we, you know, I told y'all a little bit about when the King James Bible was translated. No King James and nor none of his children have been baptized in water. They had been sprinkled with water. So uh, that's why that's it tends to be translated this way. Because they didn't want to get their heads cut off. You know, or get tied to a stake and get burnt alive or anything like that. So they didn't want to offend the king with their translation. But a much better one would be, For John plunged you in water, but you will be plunged in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Alright, so let's look at a few instances of that. This, that's in every gospel. There's not many things that occur, like no no miracle is in all the Gospels except the feeding of the 5,000. It's very important. It's in every Gospel. This also is in every Gospel, so let's look at them. Matthew 3.11. I'm going to try to do this fast. Matthew 3.11. Am I going too fast or too slow? It's right. Good? Everybody good? Everybody with me? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Matthew 3:11. These are all the accounts where at the River Jordan. Okay. So, 11. This is John the Baptist speaking here. John the Baptizer speaking. He says, "As for me, I plunge you." There, there's again. There's with, but it has a one beside it. If you look over the side, it says it could be in. Or a better translation is in. So he says, "I plunge you in water for repentance." For repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will plunge you in the Holy Spirit and fire. What does that mean? So I dig in a bit on that, but and he says, his winnowing fork. Well, let's just wait. Let's talk about that. So he's gonna plunge you in the Holy Spirit. This is this is not this is a full, he's gonna put you in. Feel it. You're going to be filled. You're going to be immersed into the life of holiness. Okay, that's what, this, that's what this means. So there were some interesting notes in my MacArthur Bible, so we'll look at them real quick. In 3.11, MacArthur writes this. Three types of baptism are referred to here. With water for repentance. John's baptism symbolized cleansing. And it says, see note on verse 6. So if you go to verse 6, here's what, here's what he says. The symbolism of John's baptism likely had its roots, roots in Old Testament purification rituals. Baptism had also long been administered to Gentile proselytes who were coming into Judaism. The baptism of John thus powerfully and dramatically symbolized repentance. Jews, accepting John's baptism, were admitting that they had been living as Gentiles. And needed to become the people of God genuinely, inwardly. And this is an amazing admission, giving their hatred of Gentiles. The people were repenting in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. The meaning of John's baptism differs somewhat from a Christian baptism. Actually, Christian baptism altered the significance of the ritual, symbolizing the believer's identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So there's, that's one thing that happens there. We're professing Christ. That's the main, in my view, the main purpose of baptism is, is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's when most people do that in front of a group of people. They stand up there and say, I confess that Jesus is my Lord and he has saved me and I'm trusting him for my salvation. But you're also identifying yourself with the side of light because, you know, you're walking out of the darkness. A lot of people don't think about this. Baptism is, you're telling the world, I'm no longer with you. I'm with these guys. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us, because we live in America. And ain't nobody threatening to come beat our, down our door, take us to prison for owning the Bible. But that's not, it's not the case in other places. So this is a very big deal. People in some places, when they, when they get be baptized publicly, they're putting themselves at risk. You know, very real physical harm and spiritual because you're telling Satan and his minions, I don't serve you anymore. I have a new master. Okay. So he goes on and says, back in 311, the three types of baptism referred to here are with water for repentance, with the Holy Spirit, or in the Holy Spirit. All believers in Christ are spirit baptized. 
And he has a note there for 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We, don't, we already looked at that. Now, he's equating this with that. I'm saying that's different because Paul says the Spirit is baptizing us into the body. And here he says you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we still ain't figured out who's doing the baptizing yet. And then he says with fire. Now, MacArthur calls this another type of baptism. He says, because fire is used throughout this context as a means of judgment, this must speak of a baptism of judgment upon the unrepentant. Now, that makes sense to me. And I trust John MacArthur. He's pretty smart. Now, Dr. Dykes, he, he thinks that's purification he's talking about there. The, the purifying fire of the Spirit in your life. Now, I think either both of these could be, you know, could be, you, could, you could safely say both of these interpretations are true. Because of the context, and he goes on to say, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, but he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat, that's us, into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's not us. That's unbelievers. So in the context here, I think MacArthur is right. He is speaking of judgmental fire here, because you don't use a winnowing fork to combine. You use a winnowing fork to separate. So this, he's separating believers from unbelievers, and they're both getting baptized. I don't want to be the one in fire, right? But anyway, but the view that this could be just a purifying effects of, of the spirit in our life, I think you could you, you wouldn't be wrong to say that. Let's just put it that way. Now, this, in, the, in the context of this, I don't think that's what he's referring to. I think he's talking about judgment. I don't think so, Craig. This is uh, it says he'll baptize you. With the Holy Spirit and, and fire. fire. I, I noticed that too, the wording there. And the reason I'm going to not... burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. Yes. You. I don't know how to read Greek. So therefore, I'm not going to make a final judgment on that, that sentence because I don't know how the Greek reads there. And That sounds like it's referring back to the Talks yeah. about wheat chaff, that's very terrible. Isn't it true, though, that even believers will go through some sort of fire? The refining fire. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm saying. Is this a refining fire yeah. to purify our lives, or is this a judgmental fire yeah. on unbelief? There's untold numbers of things that, that, that in the, like, like he said, in the English translation, it does sound as if he's saying, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, as he's addressing one group. Okay, it does seem that way. But this afterwards, when he's talking about a winnowing fork and he's going to clear his selection forward, he's going to gather wheat into the barn and burn up the chaff. Man, that sounds like salvation and judgment language to me. I mean, if you think about Daniel and, uh, and Daniel, the three friends, and the fire there as a picture also that, you know, they, they were good with whatever God had planned for them in that fire. And and yet they they were totally being in that fire, but they were not consumed. And yet who else was involved in that story? Well, those others that were the soldiers and all. Yeah. They got totally burnt up and uh 
So maybe that's yeah. also a picture. So um, you think this might be alluding to that? And Daniel? Well, I mean, I, I think that it, it can be that picture. Like yeah. we talk about baptism is is a picture of something that the Holy Spirit is is done. Well, the reason I wanted to really look at this is because I never really heard that well, you're going to be baptized with in the spirit and in fire, it kind of took me back. I said, "Wait a minute, what, what's, what's this? What's this talk about?" So, it's in Isaiah, it talks about the um, consuming fire. Yeah. Without going and looking at the, the original language, I'm not prepared to say what he's talking about here. All I can say is, is, is so I'm more likely to go with the context and the, than the than the structure of this one sentence where he says, "I will baptize you in spirit and fire," but then he follows up with. This one who's going to baptize you, he's coming. He's got a winnowing fork in his hand, and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to put the wheat into his barn, which is the kingdom, and he's going to put the chaff in the fire, which is eternal damnation. That's just what it seems like to me. I could be wrong. You know, I, like I said, I, I can't read Greek, and I haven't looked at this. I don't have logos on my phone. If anybody does want to look that up this week, we can come back with an answer next week. Maybe we could do that. I mean, that'd be great, but let's move on. I just wanted to point that out because I wanted to see that difference between John's baptism of repentance and why they did that. They were admitting, hey man, I've been living as a Gentile. I'm a proselyte again. I'm a Gentile. I need to be baptized back into the covenant, basically. They were trying to re-enter the covenant because they had been living in rebellion. Okay? We took that and kind of changed it to where we're identifying with Christ. That's for you. Very good for you. We got an eternity. You don't have to worry about how. Yeah, but we're only in Matthew. That took forever. All right. Be continued. It's all right. Well, I I don't want to stop now. I just want to know when I was getting close. There's no way we're going to get through all these. But but basically, the rest of these are, are this event. He just says it differently. Let's look at Mark 1 8. We'll just look at them real quick. We won't. That's the main one I wanted to talk about because of that whole fire and, and all that. Mark 1 8. Just look at the different ways he says this. Maybe we can discuss it a little bit. So John says, okay, let's, let's, go, to, let's go to 7. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. And I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong with sandals. I plunge you in water. That with, there's the one. Every time you see this with in front of the word baptism, there's a one by it. Just about in every instance. So he says, I plunge you in water. But he will plunge you in the Holy Spirit. Now who's the he we're talking about here? Who's our subject of this? Jesus. Jesus is the heat. Jesus is baptizing us in the Spirit. Okay? Now, we've seen a lot of things here about Jesus says the Father's going to send this helper. I'm coming back. I'm going to send. Don't let that confuse you too much. We're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The, baptism, the Holy Spirit is baptizing us into the body. Just rejoice that there is no division in God. He is one God. He is one in essence. 
There's no division in the way he relates within himself, within his three persons. There's no division in the way they relate to us. So just don't get too hung up on all these different explanations of the way these things are worded. God is baptizing us into God. That's really the way you can say this. The salvation aspect of it. Not, not the water. That's us doing that. It's a symbol. But when the Spirit baptizes us into the body, when Jesus baptizes us in the Spirit, just don't get too hung up on these pronouns and stuff. This is spiritual things. It's like the circumcision of our heart. Okay, let's just say it like that. We're being our hearts being circumcised in the spirit, not of the flesh. Okay, so these are all spiritual realities that are happening that we symbolize with, with a physical act. Let's look at Luke three sixteen real quick. I know we're I know we're running out of time. I just oh man, I don't want to hurry through this stuff. To be continued. All right, let's do one more. Let's do one more. Yeah, but I don't want to be at this for two years. <laughs> I mean, I'm I really plan on this. This is going to go faster once we get out of this foundational stuff. This baptism, spirit, body, witness, all these things that are going to carry on throughout this whole book, then we'll, we'll probably move a bit faster. We're just laying groundwork right now. But Luke 3.16 says, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I plunge you in water, but the one who is coming, that's Jesus, who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals, he will plunge you in the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So let's just let's just agree that we don't know what that means. That that chaff could be the chaff of our life, of our flesh. It could be the chaff of unbelieving world going to hell. We, I, I, don't, I don't know. Somebody could want to try to figure that out this week, bring it back, that would be great. An interesting verse to go with that, though, is uh, Mark 9, 41. I mean, I think it's probably, you could, you wouldn't be in error to say it either way. Purification for the believers, but then the judgment for the unbelievers. Okay, that's. But what about our works that will be burned up? You know, maybe, our works. maybe that's also that's also taught in scripture. So this can have several connotations. You know, I don't think we'd be wrong. To, we don't have to settle on one exact. I mean, he, he meant something when he said it, but he could have been, you know, he's he was a prophet. He'd been told all this. You know, this didn't all. He didn't just come off of all this on his own. He was a prophet, so my study notes have two different the same the, the, the two different. It says one of them it's it's the the uh, transforming and the other one is the judgment. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what was the one you said? Mark what? Uh, it was uh, Mark nine. Mark nine forty nine. I mean, I want to see that. Uh What's the context of this? A warning about hell. 
Who's speaking here? Do you know who? What are we looking at here? Oh. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck and he had been cast in the sea. So this must be Jesus speaking. Didn't he say that? I don't have red letters in my Bible. So. Is it 939? No, I'm sorry. He's trying to get some context. I'm just trying to figure out what, what we're at here because I don't have red letters. So I don't know who's talking, who's being spoken yeah, to, or anything. So this is Jesus talking to people. Yeah, but I think I'm in the wrong place. Where y'all at? Mark 9. And I started in 42 there is what I was just reading. Because this is a warning about hell. That's what my heading says here. Yeah, this is for my study Bible. Your eye you, yeah. You know, yeah. He says where he says where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. All that language is in here. You know, if your eye causes you to stumble, man, pluck it out, throw it away. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He says this, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. That the salt becomes unsalty. With what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So yours is missing and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Mine says for everyone will be salted with fire. What are you reading from, Amanda? Like what version? I'm reading the Greek. She speaks, <laughs> she speaks Greek and Hebrew and Coptic. No, Maybe don't y'all do that. <laughs> Good job, man. All right, let's let's. Uh, who wants to, who wants to pray? Anybody volunteer? Chuck. Right, I'm gonna make a note. We stopped at what? We we stopped on Luke, right? Three sixteen. Did we Luke? Did we read Luke. Okay. Well, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all these folks who have shown up here this morning to dig into your word. We just thank you that you've given us your word of truth. And Father, we know that in this world we're not gonna understand everything you've written for us. You already said that. You promised us that. But we also know that through the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit that we have a way to turn from sin. We have that helper who lets us know as Christians that we have a way out, and he will always show us the way out. And we thank you for him. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, and this church body. And as it grows, we ask that you strengthen this church body through your word, through his truth, our preaching, teaching, worship, everything that we do, may it all be for your glory, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all. Thank you.